Hi, I'm Jamie Winkup. Hi, I'm Dick Johnson. Hi, I'm Garth Tanner. You're listening to the V8 Insiders. It's your weekly dose of V8 news on the V8 Insiders. Now here's your host, Craig Revell. Red Bull Racing sweeps the weekend in Perth. Tough start to the year with uh, with car pace, but um, starting to sort of come come together now, which is which is fantastic. Mostert lifts Dick Johnson's fortunes. Top ten, really happy, and I think the guys are happy too. And we find out more about the AMGs. That's all coming up today as the red lights go out on another edition of the V8 Insiders. Take in the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. This news update is brought to you by V8X Magazine. Log on to the official V8X Magazine Facebook page for your chance to win some great prizes. Hi, this is Will Davison from the Pepsi Max crew for Performance Racing, and you are listening to the V8 Insiders. Here is the news brought to you by Nobrac Carbon Fibre Products. Jamie Wincup has solidified his position on the top of the championship with two wins and a second placing last weekend. Although the defending champion is still leading the championship, he is now finally coming to grips with the car. My last year's car was, was really nice to drive. This year's car has been a real handful and I haven't really enjoyed it. But um, this weekend it's just starting to finally be nice to drive. It's sort of all four wheels are sliding at the same rate instead of one end trying to swap ends with the other. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's it's all coming together. Craig Lowndes on Saturday broke Mark Scaife's race win record, taking his 91st victory. Love the place. It's, uh, it's got fond memories and, uh, and to yeah, finally win it, win it here has been quite incredible. So, delighted, um, relieved. You know, we've still got to continue to work. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's still a, a tough, tough race, tough competition. Mark Winterbottom's talked about his third place on Saturday and particularly what it's like to be part of the rolling start. The, the pole position guy obviously gets a big advantage, which is how it should be, and third gets a reasonable advantage too, but then Craig was a little bit slow in the middle of that corner and I was trying to get a run and then Bright is on the outside, so lost the spot, but um, it's a good spectacle. But... Jason Bright shared the podium with the Red Bulls on Sunday and was happy with the team and it's still performing up the top of the field. Yeah, I mean, Fabian, uh, you know, he still sort of manages to qualify in those front two rows every time, and, uh, you know, he's, I think his car was a little bit harder on the tyres than, than what mine were, was over the, over the two days, but, you know, the pace is still there. I think it was, you know, he was still, you know, in the top, top five. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's a funny joint, this. When, you, when you're sort of stuck behind cars, it, you know, you, you really struggle with tyres, and... Uh, you know, yesterday when I was behind you know, either of these guys, I was trying very hard to pass them and, and then you know, the tyres just fell off it at the end. Whereas when, when you're leading and you've got clear air, it's, it's, a, it's a much easier day, believe me. Chaz Mostard had his first weekend in the main game. While Saturday was good, Sunday saw the young driver lift Dick Johnson Racing to its best result for the year. Dick Johnson talked about the team's turnaround. Yeah, it's, it's certainly, they've done a bloody good job this weekend and... And uh, I think this, uh, 
still more room for improvement, you know, on on our side mainly to make sure that they get what they need to sort of uh, go further up the grid. And obviously, qualifying is a big part of that. Chaz was extremely happy with the result. Yeah, it's fantastic. You know, I was potting around there, still probably around the same position of what I was in the first race, and start seeing some experienced guys having a bit of drama in front. So. Um, to, to lucky enough to, to get 10th and uh, inherit quite a few positions is, um, is fantastic, you know, and uh, today I had another bit of a bad pit stop, so something I've got a bit of work on a bit more, but, um, you know, um, top 10, really happy, and I think the guys are happy too. On Saturday, Scott Pye had another wild ride. We caught up with the young driver and found out how tough was it to get back into the car. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, these are all things that we uh, unfortunately know can happen and, and could happen at any time, so... Getting back in the car is not. There's no no second. You know, you don't don't second guess anything. You just get back in and do the job you're paid to do. And yeah, to finish uh, just outside the top five was a great result. And and to be honest, I thought we could have done that in qualifying as well. But the car just didn't hook up on the green tyres, and uh, maybe I didn't get the best out of them either. So, like I said, tomorrow's another day, and hopefully we can get it sorted for them. That one hurt a bit more than the head-on, actually. But obviously, it's not not the way you want to finish a race. I mean, we were very lucky. The guys did a good job to get the car. Uh, you know, but back to the state it was and, and actually it was relatively quick you know we did the same time as our teammates so the car beat up as, as bad as it was yeah they did a good job and, and like I said disappointed but uh, you know we still got some points at the end of the day and At Lucas Dumbell Motorsports on Sunday it was an interesting drive and strategy by Dean Fury but if ever you were going to roll the dice your home track is always the best place Yeah we, we didn't plan to do it so when we were out there and, and the boys sort of said go use these tyres up you know and this was sort of for about four or five laps because we're about to pit and I said righto so I got up it and then they said well hang on just look after them look after them so uh, it changed on the hop uh, because they realised how much time we were going to lose with a pit stop um, and where the leaders were and yeah I think the the six laps under safety car made it um, possible to do what we did and had we known before the race that we were going to do that, we would have put our best set of tyres on um, and obviously wouldn't have pushed in that middle section. So um, it could have been even better. But So to the points now, Jamie, Wing Cup is on 958, ahead of Will Davison on 839. Craig Lowndes is on 843. Jason Bright, fourth with 797. Van Gisbergen, 720. James Moffat is back there in 13th place, the best of the Nissans on 513 points, whilst the best AMG Erebus car, 20th place for Lee Holsworth on 374. Chaz Mostert, his first outing, he's in 29th, 17 points behind Johnny Reed, the man he replaced. In the Dunlop series, Ash Walsh took the honours with a solid weekend, winning race one and then driving from the back of the field to set him up for a solid result in race three and the weekend victory. We uh, obviously had a had a rethink after Adelaide and and uh, we weren't sure where we'd come back and, uh, you know, and be in relation to the Matt White boys, but uh, safe to say the guys have done a really good job and I'm, uh, and I'm happy to be here and fighting for the championship now. Dale Wood finished second with another fantastic result, winning the third race of the weekend. No, extremely happy and uh, finally get that race, that nice race win is pretty cool. Casey Stoner again had a learning weekend. You know, definitely didn't go to plan. I think, uh, you know, again, if, if, you know, race one hadn't happened, we might have been able to, you know, keep ourselves towards the front a little bit more, learn a little bit more and then uh, just progress from there. But, uh, you know, after race one, it wasn't great. We, we had a bad start for race two and got caught up again in some more stuff. And then... Uh, Race three was just uh, hectic, you know, I was trying to keep myself out of trouble because there was stuff going on everywhere, but uh, 
still managed to get in the, in the mix somehow. After 16 years, Hidden Valley will see some major works going ahead with the Northern Territory Government allocating $9.5 million to the circuit. With $5 million for track resurfacing and safety upgrades starting mid-next year, and the rest of the money to be spent on facilities all around the tracks complex. They'll start in financial year 2014-15. And finally, the latest edition of VADX magazine is now available. You can find it in stores and online through the Mag Store for the iPod edition. And that's the news for NOBRAC carbon fibre products. Check out the entire range today at www.nobrac.com.au. That's N-O-B-R-A-C News on the V8 Insiders is brought to you by the official V8X Magazine Facebook page. Sign up and keep in touch with V8 Supercars. Controversy Corner is next when we return with more on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. You've watched the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Craig Lance. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. It's Craig Ravel joined by Race Faxes, Tony Whitlock, and also... Our good friend Tom Worsley from Tom Worsley Media. And uh, Tom, I don't know about you, but that red eye has given me the worst, uh, I'll call it a flu, and so that's why I'm not sounding chipper. I hope your trip back didn't affect you. Oh, I'm feeling uh, feeling fantastic. It's always nice hotel, the, the red eye from Perth. Tony, you're a well-seasoned and travelled veteran. How's the red eye treat you, or did you have the luxury of an extra day in Perth? No, 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 I did red eye, but I actually had my Pan Am sunglasses on before the plane actually taxied away from the bridge and didn't take it off until we almost hit the bridge when we landed in Melbourne. I'll tell you Literally, what... Actually, so it was a full uh, time. I'm, it seemed like a five-minute flight to me. I, I'm thinking of a Corey, is it Corey Ham song, I Wear My Sunglasses at Night, and now your face with Sunny's on will be indelibly etched to that song, Tony. Yeah, they're made by Pan Am, of course, so. Yes. Uh, and, that, and that TV show only lasted three episodes as well. <laughs> it was a weekend where Red Bull dominated the landscape and certainly they bounced back with a vengeance. Both cars on the podium on all three races, Tom, was the headline of the weekend. It's probably the first sign of, of dominance that we've seen from the team that's that's dominated the last couple of years. So uh, I, I, part of me is uh, is thinking everything's back to normal, but I, I still think there's going to be quite a few shake-ups throughout the year, um, partic- particularly with, with teams like Brad Jones Racing still up the front in uh, for most of the weekend as well. Tony, it is, uh, it is a return to form, but then... You would expect nothing less from Red Bull Racing because they demand excellence every time they put their car on the track. Yeah, and that's certainly true. Um, but I, I think it's well worthwhile keeping in mind when you talk about, yes, that's a team dominating up there. But um, you also have to keep in mind the number of new names um, being uh, climbing into in qualifying and also in the races. 
names like McLaughlin and Mostert, you know, and uh, so that's making a giant difference. Mm. And certainly Pi has had his share of solid results, although he uh, was one very lucky boy on Sunday morning uh, in the first race, in the first race on Sunday, second race of the weekend, race 11 of the championship, Tom? Ah, definitely. Uh, you... I'd, I'd love to know what was going through his head, whether it was a, a case of "oh no, not again," or uh, or whether he was as calm and calm and collected as he was after Tassie's accident. Even even that was a big accident. I was in the garage straight after that, and I can tell you, he certainly was uh, would not say calm or anything like that. Mm. He, he said, was "A very grey-looking lad," and uh, had to be coaxed back to get in the car. Well, that's interesting because. Uh, he, he said on the news here on the V8 Insiders that that's his job getting back into the car, but he definitely thought that that accident was a bigger one than the one he had at Simmons Plains. And because the cars are now set up for frontal impact so well, Tony, the side impact, they haven't worked out a way of stabilising the head in the side impact yet. No, no. Um, and look, I, I think it's probably as much that he knows what it feels like to have the hit. And so, therefore, when he went airborne, he was preparing for something that didn't fortunately arrive. Mm. Um, you know, it's unfortunate for Lucas because, uh, you know, financially, you know, that, that's another very large uh, financial hit and um, they're not in a position where they really be needing to have those every couple of rounds. Mm. Uh, I think I said Sunday morning. That was Saturday, of course, in the uh, second of the 60-60s, wasn't it? Yes, indeed it was. Yeah. Yeah. On uh, the last lap, I think, too. That, that'll be my f- first and last mistake of the show, I'm sure. <laughs> it was the, the first, first last lap of the first section, wasn't it? Yes, okay. it was. Yeah, it, it, it certainly, once again, raised the question about the, about the 60-60 format and whether that first race has got any value at all, Tony. Um, well... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, oh, having a new name on the uh, the, the uh, sub leg. There it is, sixty six. Yeah, yeah. I I don't see the value in it. Um, I didn't really believe in the hundred uh, k race format, but it seems to be working. And I know that um, the shorter races, and particularly those sort of events where you're having only three hundred twenty k's of racing, because every kilometre of racing at this level. Cost an enormous amount of money, and um, the teams I, are hurting. Yes, Tom? I, I think that uh, a couple of the guys at BJR summed it up perfectly with with the introduction of this lucky dog rule. Both Will Davison and Fabian Coulthard had tyre problems. One of them was was able to finish on the lead lap because of this this new rule. Um, I know there's quite a few people that don't quite agree with this the concept of the lucky dog rule. Well, you could almost call it the Roland Dane rule that he probably instigated uh, uh, after Simmons Plains when his uh, his driver went uh, went down a lap and he probably thought, no, I don't want that to happen again, so change the rule. Well, let's face it, at the Clipsal 500, you can run one lap of that race and uh, by Sunday you'll get, uh, is it 72 laps at Clipsal? I can't remember now. But you get... Sorry, 78. So okay. if you only finish one lap at the Clipsal 500 first leg, you get 77 lucky dogs, if you like, because if you win on Sunday, as Craig Lowndes did in his first ever race for Ford, he won the Clipsal 500. Yeah. So 
let's just say logic does not extend to any part of any split races or anything else and we just have to be done with that and heaven forbid someone who doesn't follow the sport Guys, uh, some of the notable uh, efforts outside of Red Bull's dominance was once again an FPR failure. And it was funny, I was having a chat. I can't remember whether it was in the media centre or downstairs. There was a few of us standing around. And I said, you could you know, you know, could write a, a fair sort of feature story for V8X or anyone about FPR's, FPR's failures. And Stephen Bartholomew said, just a feature story? Couldn't you get a book out of it? Well, I reckon the uh, second book started uh, at... Perth with another woeful pit stop to put Frosty out of contention. Can I can I do something, Craig? And you're probably saying, uh, "Bloody Whitlock, we'll put him on the bench and have him for a while." Can we talk about some positives? Because I'd much rather there's far more positives out of that last weekend than there was negatives. And those positives include things like the Mercedes, their first qualifying top ten. The fact on Saturday, all three cars finished for the first time on the lead lap. The fact that a Nissan was in there in, in, you know, qualifying. It was in there in the races. Moffat's doing such a sterling job. You know, I mean, he's warranted well and truly Norton taking him to where they thought they should be and get good coverage. And, you know, just so many positives about it all. All right. Well, we'll stay with Moffat for the moment. He's not getting the recognition he deserves, in my opinion. Yeah, look, he's doing a stellar job. There are three other cars there. Now they are all on the same spec. And... Uh, uh, he spoke to me about it, and he says he's just feel he's maximising what he's got. So he hasn't got a car that's going to be a top five car at the moment. Um, I, I think one of the most outstanding things was, and OK, HRT are having an off moment, but regardless of that, in two races on Sunday, Moffat raced against and finished in front both times in front of Garth Tan, who would almost be called a Barbagello specialist, and on board an HRT car. That is an absolutely stellar job by young James. Mm. And, and Tom, he's outshining his very highly regarded and credentialed teammates. Uh, definitely, and I think that a lot of people questioned the uh, the move from Nissan for Moffat and questioned, you know, are they picking the right man? And I think he's showing that he's got what it takes to be a, uh, a top 10 competitor. He was in the, the top 10 solidly on the weekend. And, um, you know, moving forward, I think we're only going to see better results from it. Uh, there's, there's possibly two um, two of his teammates that have got a little bit more on their mind than just driving. Um, uh, Rick Kelly's had some, some good results. He was solid in, in New Zealand with being the first driver at Nissan to get a top 10. But uh, I'd say that there's a, a, a bit of head-scratching going on for, for how do they move forward, and uh, it, it's potentially impacting on the performance of, of the two Kelly boys. Mm. Well, we need to take a break here on the V8 Insiders, but we have got plenty more to talk about on the other side. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Hi, I am Alexandre Prema from the Fujitsu JRM team, and you are listening to the V8 Insider. 
Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Craig Revelle joined by Tom Worsley and also Tony Whitlock. And Tony, it's interesting you talked about the improvements at Mercedes because on this week's Munro Shock Absorbers White Flag Lap, we've got Dave Stewart and he is talking a lot of the uh, AMG improvements and also just how AMG managed to get onto the track. And uh, some of the stuff is absolutely fascinating about going over to Germany and the work they had to do with the German engineers just to get a car ready, let alone now to start seeing the performance moving forward. Yeah, and, you know, talking with Tim Slade and Lee in New Zealand, when they were talking about uh, restarts and what lame ducks they were, um, you know, just dreading the moment when uh, the restart was underway and they were sitting there trying to coax an engine that, you know, obviously... The combination of specs of uh, five liters, ten, ten compression, and the uh, butterfly arrangement with the fly-by-wire that they had, it just didn't work. Whereas now, at least, they feel they can get up and go with it. Mm. Um, and you know, as Mario Engel demonstrated, that on a track that's not highly tricky on uh, throttle response, but obviously you need to have it. And uh, he showed by qualifying in the top 10, mm. which is tremendous. Yes, I spoke to Maro uh, on Sunday morning, and he said it's great to have a car that's not, you know, when you turn the key over, sitting on the rev limiter at idle. It, yeah. it makes a huge difference. And, and Tom, it, that's the thing. They have shown signs of improvement. And when you think of the lead times that Mercedes have had, Whilst they're copping flack from different areas of the pit lane, they've still done a remarkable job to get the cars on the track and performing as well as they are. I think you have to give them credit. They did in uh, in 108 days what, what the Nissan team was able to do in 12 months, and that's get cars on the grid. Um, and the, to see them in the qualifying inside the top 10 on the, uh, the fourth event... I think that's even surprised a lot of people and, and probably even been a bit of a shock to a few people at Erebus. I, I think there's one thing we should talk about here for a second. Now, with Stone Brothers and Kellys, Kellys actually hadn't won races in their own right. Oh, sorry, the Kelly Racing had. They hadn't won championships, nor had they won um, Bathurst. Stone Brothers had won, you know, three championships in, in there as they are and what they now. Um, and they had a, a big helping hand in what H to, uh, WAR and AMG. Um, Kelly Racing took an engine that had been used in GT racing, basically, but changed a fair bit around. And, yeah, OK, they had a year to work on it. They were working with a very different animal than what the Mercedes team and uh, um, Erebus are working with. So comparing the two is not, not ideal. Um, Nissan have already at this stage, after 12 races had six top tens. Mm. It's six a, top ten finishes. Yep. Alfred had five of those in the last six races. Mm. Yeah. It, now, it's a remarkable like, achievement from both. There's no, there's no doubt about that. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just mm. think that, you know, the unfortunate thing is you think, oh, these teams both arrived at the same time with the same package, and there it is sort of thing. And, of course, they didn't. I mean, yes, Erebus, uh, a.k.a. Stone Brothers, um, we'll be rebuilding our engines from now on and uh, making those engines more to their suited, to their liking. Um, but most of what that engine package is on the track now is done within Nissan Motorsport, a.k.a. Kelly, Kelly Racing. Mm. And, uh, you know, I, I really think that 
six top ten finishes after 12 races is a, is a tremendous uh, indictment of how good a job they're doing. Mm. Okay, another guy that has turned around the fortunes of a flagging team is Chad Mostert, uh, Tom. He uh, he injected a, a huge amount of interest for the Ford fans, and obviously his links to FPR are going to help Dick Johnson Racing rebuild what has been a tattered, tattered legacy. Uh, I think tattered's probably a bit of an understatement. Uh, DJR last year became the, uh, I guess, the joke of V8 supercars. This this, this team that has so much heritage and. And as as Tony highlighted about Stone Brothers, they've won championships, they've won uh, won Bathurst, and and yes, they've been been around a lot longer. But uh, you know, to see them start off as this year at the back of the grid with a lot of uncertainty, and and then all of a sudden this this young Mostert comes along and gets a top ten in his. Uh, in his first V8 supercar weekend, keep in mind that he hasn't competed at, in Enduros, and uh, I think he did a remarkable job. The one thing I think it, that that also shows is the calibre of drivers that the development series is is, uh, is bringing now. Look at McLaughlin, Pye, and, and now Mostert. You you only have to look at those three names and, and what they've done in, in the opening rounds of this year to to see the calibre of driver that that series produces. Hmm. I agree, totally. It's worth reflecting on um, that the mechanical package that Mostert was sat underneath or sat on top of um, was virtually the same as was under Johnny Reed's bum at Pookie. A couple of things that were different. One is that Adam DeBore, who was already employed by FPR and was the customer liaison for DJR with... uh, is now engineering the car for Mostert, whereas before that he was just standing behind the people who were engineering the car. And I think that's a major benefit. I think um, talking about how, yes, Chaz and Adam go to the uh, engineering debriefs after each uh, each event and uh, certainly go through all the things so that they're talking the same language with the same cars. There's no massive change in the, in the mechanical package that was on the track, though. And it was just making all the bits work better that we're there together, and that included the skill of Chaz and the engineering skill of DJR helping DJs get it, you know, get it right. Mm. Well, hopefully for the Ford fans, they will have six competitive Fords in the uh, not-too-distant future, Tony. Yeah, I'm, look, I'm sure that Chaz and Adam and will help Tim get far closer than he's been. He was up there as well, close to it. Uh, made a mistake uh, coming down in the last race. Uh, he was sitting quite high up there and near the 15, I think it was. And he showed, you know, each each event that he's going. Hmm. Well, you talked about the uh, the king of Barbagello before, Garth Tander. But, uh, gee, the other Western Australian in the field was Dean Fiore. And on race number 11... It was very interesting to see him go the entire distance and as uh, without a pit stop. And as you heard it on the uh, on the news, that was not something they had planned from the outset. Tony, yeah, it, it's it's a good example of how a bunch of engineers and including David Gauchy, who's a Triple Eight employee, based in Brisbane. He doesn't sit down at LDM. He's based up in Brisbane, and he engineers uh, Dean Fiore. 
um, where Scott Pye, he also is a virtually a Triple Eight employee and drives for LDM and is based up in Brisbane as well. But he's engineered by Brendan Hogan. And um, but their engineering group with Paul Morris nearby, standing with a very experienced hand, came up with the idea of let's keep going and uh, we could well get there. It, and I think it was probably only uh, the last two laps, really. He lost probably five or six places. Mm. Yeah, and of course, as, as we heard in the news, it was a decision where he was told to push because he was pitting in a couple of laps, and then all of a sudden they've, oh, no, slow down, slow down, we're going to conserve. And, of course, over that couple of laps, he had really tried to burn off, well, not tried to burn off the tyres, but had certainly lessened the life of the tyres by pushing, thinking he was about to pit. So woulda, coulda, shoulda, of course, always comes into it, Tony, but uh, it's one of those ones where it, it was a, it was definitely a risk worth taking, and if you ever take a risk like that, doing it on your home racetrack is the perfect place. It Dean's had one top ten this year, which is... Uh, he had one last year as well, and he's certainly coming along... Um, He's got a good package, and I'm certain that they will be within striking distance of a top ten in the near future again. Mm. Of course, Tom, the the talk, and I know that Tony doesn't want to talk negatives, but it's it's a pretty big damn negative, was HRT. They'd gone out. They were going to buy the 888 front end. They decided not to. They made some changes, and I think it's safe to say that the changes didn't go as well as they were hoping. I'd say it's very frustrating for HRT at the moment. They showed some, some really strong signs in New Zealand that, that things are starting to work and things are starting to happen. And uh, I'd say that this is just a, a bit of a setback. They made a decision. It didn't quite go the, the way that they were hoping. Um, and no doubt before uh, whether they've got enough... To, well, sorry, for America, they, they might revert to Plan A. That seemed to be working for them in New Zealand. Let's try that in... In America, but I'd say that they'll they'll go back to the drawing board ahead of of Darwin, and and Darwin's a, a, a track that HRT even in the in the bad times has done well at. So uh, I, I'd say it's just a minor setback in in uh, the progress that they've made over the past few few months. You calling it a only a flesh wound, Tony? I think so. I mean. Uh... There, there's been a lot of changes in the engineering group, um, and uh, I, I'd say that the team is hurting financially, which has has big impacts all the way up and down their uh, setup of the team. Um, James James did better than probably uh, it looks, um, and you know he could have been far closer, apart from you know a couple of minor indiscretions. I mean the one I won't. Hold back on. I mean, people know that I've been never a Russell fan because I think he's a lout and a hooligan. Um, and twice taking out uh, David Wall demonstrates that he's not not sitting happily with somebody he thinks that shouldn't be in front of him. Hmm. And you know, uh, that's a real handicap when a third of your team is uh, near an old age pension. And of course, one of the one of the talking points, the drums are getting louder as I walk up and down pit lane, is. Of those three drivers, we know Russell's retiring, but now I'm hearing more and more talk about Garth and James's future. And, Tony, it's uh, sounding like HRT could need three drivers at the end of this year. Well, you know, I mean, uh, if they uh, 
if they're looking and they're looking hard, there are drivers out there that um, are certainly not experienced but uh, more than capable of uh, getting up there within a couple of years. Mm, but if you've got a young engineering group that's trying to learn, Tom, and then you need three drivers who, if you go for young ones, are all well, any new driver coming into the series is going to be new to these cars, you, you're putting yourself back maybe two years. No, I think if you've got someone who's who's inexperienced, it's easier to mould them into into what you want. Um, young young combination of driver and, and engineer potentially is the dangerous part of it. I think uh, if you, but there there is also a lot of a lot of experience from Steve Hallam and, and Tony Dow um, to, to guide the younger engineers. So. Um, yes and no, and I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, it's always a pleasure to catch up with you. Of course, Austin being the next race, we're, we're going to have an interesting time over there, to say the least, and look forward to uh, catching up with you both very, very soon. Oh, oh, before we go, though, Tony, great to see Ash Walsh get a win in the Dunlop Series. Absolutely. Yeah, look, he's growing, uh, growing with confidence and got a good piece of gear underneath him and being well run by Matt Stone. And, uh, yeah, I, I think that uh, they'll uh, soldier on further. Um, it's terrific that Steve Owen's back in the series and Matty White's got somebody that can well and truly uh, go out on a regular basis and get those pole positions and demonstrate to uh, people. Unfortunately, about his uh, race weekend, I mean, he clearly showed that he's lost none of his skill in carving through the pack. Great pity about um, Stoner not showing uh, really what he's capable of and uh, him seem to be having more of a wrestling match with backmarkers than anything else. Mm. Well, I, I, funny you should bring up the uh, the Casey Stoner incident. I was actually staying with two guys that had a very strong bike background, both of them originally from Western Australia, and um, I, I made the comment that I thought that Stoner turned in a little bit too early for that corner, and they said, oh, of course, it's but he was sort of had a bike line to it. So um, whether it's a case of Casey's still got some old habits that he needs to rewire his brain, or or if it was just uh, an accident, I'm I'm not really sure. But I, um, you know, you can't take away from Ash Walsh. He did a great job on the weekend. Mm. Yep. Good thing Patrick's not around to give uh, give Casey a nickname like he gave Captain Chaos Wayne Gardner. Uh, and of course uh, we've all got to wait till he makes the main game so he can have a go with the amateurs out there Tony, Tom, pleasure to have you on the show and uh, look forward to speaking to you again very soon The White Flag Lap is up next. As we said, Dave Stewart from Erebus Motorsport. To ask a question of the V8 Insiders, just email them at v8insiders at sportradio.com.au. Stay tuned for more. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Jonathan Webb from Techno Autosports, and you're listening to V8 Insiders. 
On this week's Y Flag Lab, brought to you by Munro Shock Absorbers, Dave Stewart from Erebus Motorsport. Talk to the V8 Insiders about the work the team's done to get the AMG cars onto the grid. Yeah, it's been, uh, it has been a huge, huge project to, uh, for the team to undertake and to, to get to where we are today has been a massive uh, massive effort and you know congratulations to everybody in the team for doing that. There's been there, as you mentioned there has been a lot of toing and froing between Germany and uh, Australia and uh, you know basically there's telephone conversations nearly every night of the week uh, and there's been also been a, a couple of trips over to Germany for, with uh, myself and Ryan and uh, our engineering group and also from Germany to Australia with uh, the head of uh, HW and AM, uh, Mercedes Racing and uh, also AMG to check the project and see how we're travelling. Was it at one of those meetings in Australia where they, they realised that they needed to change injection and all those sorts of things? Uh, I, I think right from the, from the get-go uh, we, we had some concerns uh, and when they came out, when the people from AMG came out to the Eclipsal 500, it was there that um, you know, we dis- first discussed going to an eight butterfly manifold. And uh, from then, um, it's been a trip over there and a trip out here. And uh, to get it all together, the, the planning and the machining and the design and what have you. With uh, secrets in V8 supercars, there doesn't seem to be too many left, but you certainly found out about secrets in AMG when you're over there and trying to keep secrets. Oh, absolutely. Uh, when we built the car, we had a we had a security caveat placed on us whereby if any photo of the car was released from our workshop or whilst the car was under development, uh, building and development, and, and if any photo was released through our negligence, there was a one and a half million dollar, uh, one and a half million euro fine to be paid. So uh, we're, we're very proud of the fact that not one single image of the car was released while it was under our control. The only, the only images of the car that were taken were at the V8 Supercar Aero Parity Test. When you have the, uh, the toing and froing back through Germany and Australia. Does the time zones work in your favour there? Does it actually mean you were getting a 24-hour day? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, by the time we were uh, finishing a, a normal working day uh, in Australia, they were just starting their working day in Germany. So we could continue through the night uh, as we did uh, during the build phase and working in parallel with them. So there was plenty of phone calls at that, at that uh, stage of the development and the build process. So we'd go home, uh, come back the next morning and they've uh, completed the rest of the work overnight. So yeah, it really was a 24 hour continuous uh, work cycle. I believe when you're sending CADs and sending uh, uh, machining files back and forth, that's not the easiest thing to do when you get to Germany. AMG has got a, because it's dealing with so many more different styles of motorsport than just about supercars, their procedures are even tougher. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, spe- we set up a special uh, uh, file distribution network, um, which was uh, encrypted and secure, so that uh, we could we could transfer the CAD data. And again, there was a lot of security around that, uh, particularly with AMG. Uh, so again, uh, you know, but uh, as you mentioned, they, they had uh, a specific team uh, dedicated to this project, so we, we were had constant access and instant access to. Them. And how does it go now? You've used one of your engine uh, adjustments already to get the eight butterfly uh, injection in. What are the stages now and how long do you uh, think you will have the final package? 
Oh, look, working with V8 Supercar, and, um, you know, we did our initial parity uh, test, uh, which was uh, prior to going to Eclipse of 500, and uh, as part of a new manufacturer, we, we're, we had the ability to go back several times throughout the year. Um, V8 Supercar haven't really put a limit on it, but of course, they don't want to be stupid about it either, you know, they don't want us coming back every week with a new spark plug or a new this or a new that. So, um, we're working on a, on a quarterly basis, which works well for us because it takes time to develop, manufacture and implement those changes. Um, so yes, we've, we've used uh, the, say the first one for the first quarter of this year, uh, and we'll be working towards uh, having something else prior to the endurance races. Would you say you're ahead of the game as to where you thought you'd be, knowing that you started just so very late? Um, look, I, I, right now I'd say we're on par. Uh, we were definitely behind where we thought we would be. Um, we've worked exceptionally hard now to implement this change both here and in Germany so um, I think uh, we're probably on par obviously anybody in, in racing uh, wants to be performing better than they are so uh, you know we're certainly not happy with where we are although we have made a step forward and are you still daily in contact with AMG or is that dropping off now as you're doing more and more of the work here it doesn't need to go back to them uh, we're probably not on a daily basis with them now, but we're certainly three or four times a week. So what's the goal for by the time we get to Sydney? What do you think will be the achievement that you're going to hang your hat on? Oh, well, firstly, getting the cars to the track and, uh, and bringing Mercedes to V8 Supercar. That, I think that's the, the, the prime achievement that we should all uh, be, be really proud of. Um, I think by the time we get to Homebush at the end of the year, uh, the, I think that we should be able to run somewhere in the top ten. Uh, I'd like to say, you know, top five, but you know, you, you have to be realistic and uh, you have to look at your development program throughout the throughout the year. So I would I would be happy if we could qualify and race consistently in the top ten by that stage. My thanks to Dave Stewart, Tony Whitlock, and Tom Worsley as the checker flag waves over another edition of the V8 Insiders. Till next time round. Keep smiling and bye for now. Join us next week for more V8 Insiders, only on v8x.com.au.